Okay, we're in a series called The Power of the Tongue, and I realize we're in part three of our series. It's only been two weeks, but I'm curious, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you, since we started the series, um, were you about to say something to somebody at some part during your week, or you were about to text some words, you were about to put something on Facebook, whatever, and you had to bite your tongue because of what we've been talking about the past two weeks? Anybody? Really? Are y'all being honest with me? Y'all just trying to make me feel good. You can think, you can lie, as long as it makes me feel good, I don't care. Okay, let me take you even further, and this is probably me. How many of you were about to say something, and you ended up already, you said it, but because of the series we're on, you felt conviction after you said the things you shouldn't have said? Okay. <laughs> Laura said she deleted it after she, she, that's fine, you can delete it, that's good, that was good. You know, you know, you can delete things you put on Facebook, you know, but you can't delete a text that you send. I mean, you know, damn, I won't tell you that. But anyway, there has been, okay, there has been times where I sent something so bad, I deleted it just so I wouldn't remember that I sent that. But the other person still has it. So, yes, words are very powerful. And before we go into our, our main point each Sunday, I like to just read you a scripture about the tongue or about words. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, he said, your mouth speaks words that show what your heart is full of. You know, all through my life and all growing up in church, I always hear people say things like, well, you don't know my heart. Well, you just, they don't know my heart. You just don't know my heart. Okay, listen, I do know your heart if I listen to you talk. If you want to, if you're, if you're dating somebody or you're getting a job somewhere or you're becoming friends, if you want to know somebody's heart, just listen to what they're saying on a regular basis. Because whatever's going on in here always comes out through the mouth. It doesn't say whatever's in the heart goes into the mind. It's not a thought. It's, something, it's what comes out of the mouth. And this is a powerful scripture because it helps you know your own heart. Because a lot of times we, us Christians, you know, we're so good Christians. We just love Jesus all the time. We're perfect. If you really want to know what's in your heart, listen to what you say on a regular basis. And you'll find out what's going on here. You know, um, I, I was reading these, these Yale professors or some group at Yale. They're able to tell whether or not a couple can, is going to get a divorce or not. Uh, up to a 96% accuracy based on putting recordings in their house and listening how they talk to each other for one day. Actually, it was for 12 hours. This, this group of Yale professors, they can take a recording device, put it in your home, and then they'll listen to it. Just 12 hours of communication, and they can tell up to a 96% accuracy whether or not a couple is going to end up divorced or they're going to stay together. That's amazing. You know, the truth is, you can tell the same thing by what's coming out of your mouth on a regular basis. You know, whenever you got saved, the first thing that happened when you surrendered your life to Jesus, the very first thing ever was that he changed your heart. You understand that, right? In other words, um, when you got saved, now, now that you're saved, you want to serve Jesus. Now, you don't always do it because we have, we're still in, in, in this world and we're still battling sin, but you have a desire in order, in, instead of serving yourself to serve Jesus. When you got saved, you have this desire to forgive people. Um, at some point, it, when they've hurt you, you just know you got to forgive. You have this desire to be a giver in life. You have a desire to worship God. That all happened when you got saved and God changed your heart. We understand that? So the first inward thing that happens when you got saved is Jesus changed your heart, which means the very first outward sign that you are saved is that your mouth is different. 
If the first thing that happens is your heart on the inside, then the first outward sign that you're saved, if this scripture is true, and it is, is that your mouth, your words are different. Now, if you're still cussing every sentence, if you're negative every other sentence, if you're gossiping, murmuring, complaining, slandering, words of fear, doubt, disbelief, listen, you're not saved. <laughs> you think you are, well, you don't know my heart. Yes, I do, because I'm listening to what's coming out of your mouth. I know your heart by listening to your words. Are we okay? Y'all aren't smiling as much as you were earlier when we were talking about our relatives leaving after Thanksgiving. Anyway, okay, part three today, I want to talk to you about this, having a tongue of Thanksgiving. A tongue of Thanksgiving. You would think, you would think, you would think that the most grateful, thankful people in the entire world are people who live in America, are people who have a roof over their head, in Myrtle Beach, one of the most beautiful places to live, who drove a car to get to the greatest church in the world on Sunday morning with the greatest church family who all have food in their bellies. None of you are starving at all. You would think that these would be the most grateful, thankful people in the entire universe, but that's not always the case. Very interesting to me, the people who complain about their spouse people who complain about the job that God gave them, people that complain about the country that's one of the greatest countries in the world, the people who complain and complain and complain, but they think they're complaining because of what's going on around them, but they're not. They're complaining because of what's going on inside of them. It doesn't say based on what's around you out of the mouth. No, no, it says whatever's going on in your heart is what's going to come in, is what's going to come out of your mouth. And you know, I could take somebody from a different country uh, just let's think of the country. How about Brazil? We take somebody from Brazil. We bring them to your country, give them your president. We bring them to your job, fire you and give them your job. We, we divorce your spouse and give them your husband or your wife, your kids, your car, your house. And they'll be the most grateful people in the world. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, every single day of their life. Here's why. They know how blessed they are to be here. They recognize how much, you know how easy it is to forget what God's done for us? And we wait till Thanksgiving to talk about it. We should be doing this every single day. If God did nothing else for you but save your dirty, rotten soul, that's enough for you to be a thankful person. The very fact that you're not going to hell, not because of anything you did, because of what Jesus did, that's enough for you to say thank you, God, every single day of your life. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything give thanks. It doesn't say for, okay? The Bible never says thank God for everything. It doesn't. It says in everything. In other words, you may not be in your dream home, but you thank God for the house you do have. You may not be driving the fancy car you want, but you thank God for the car you do have. You may not be listening to the greatest preacher in the whole world, let's be honest, but I'm easy to look at. Thank God for that. Find something to thank God for, okay? Um, I heard about this man who complained about not having any shoes until he met another man who didn't have any feet. You have no idea how blessed you really are. Charles Spurgeon, he's one of the greatest preachers of the 1800s. And one night on his way home from a meeting at church, he got robbed. And the robber took his wallet and, you know, took off running. And when Charles Spurgeon, when he got home... Uh, he opened up his diary and he wrote, tonight I got robbed. And he said, number one, I thank God that the robber only took my money and not my life. He said, number two, I thank God that most of my money is at home and not in my wallet. 
And then he said, number three, I thank God that I was not the robber and I don't have to live that way to get by in life. No matter what happens, you can find some reason to thank God, okay? So here's what I want to teach you today with my three points is this. Um, you know, culturally, in our culture, in our society, when you're thankful, you write somebody a thank you card is normally what you do. That's how you do it. Or sometimes we think, well, in my mind, I'm thankful. I'm a thank. Or we think, I have an attitude of thanksgiving. Okay, biblically, none of that stuff matters. Biblically, which is what I'm going to teach you, not culture, but I'm teaching you the Bible. In the Bible, people who are actually grateful and have a heart of gratitude, the Bible says it always comes out of their mouth in three different ways. And I'm going to teach you those ways today. Point number one for your notes is this. You say it. You say it. Tada is the Hebrew word. Tada. T-O-D-A-H. It means to give thanks by saying it out loud. Psalms 100 verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. It doesn't say think so. What does it say? It says to say so to say it out loud now I realize this is literally talking about uh, the old testament tabernacle and when you basically come into church you come in by saying things you're grateful for which even that itself some of y'all come in you know it's too hard it's too cold the music's too loud the pastor's too good looking whatever i don't know what you say you complain about when you come in but 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 the bible says if you want to get close to god you be thankful out loud now during the week some of y'all need god desperately some of you want God that you want to feel the comfort of God's arms around you. You want to feel his peace that passes all understanding. You need him in your life. And here's the thing. He's not there because of what's coming out of your mouth. If you want God to show up, you have to say out loud, God, you're amazing. God, you're all powerful. You're so good. You're omnipotent. You know all. You see all. You still love me. I am so thankful for what you've done in my life. Um, my, my, my nana and my papa, they... My nana practically raised me. Anything good in me was because I was around her growing up. Her husband, my papa, he died about maybe 10 years ago, 8, 9, 10 years ago. And um, my papa was a very quiet man. He never spoke. Even when he did talk, he never talked in a complete sentence. It was just a phrase. And that was it. And so there wasn't a lot of communication between me and him. Although I was at his house all the time growing up. And I was their first grandchild, so I was their favorite, of course. And, um, and so my papa and my nana, they, they took care of me. But um, every time we ate food, whether my papa was eating ice cream or crackers or a full meal, you know, he'd always say the blessing out loud, which is the longest sentence I ever heard him say. And it was still very short. You know, Lord, thank you for the food. In Jesus name. Amen. After he would bless the food, he would leave his head bowed and his eyes closed and he would mumble something for about 15, 20 seconds. He did this every single time. Even if someone else blessed the food, as soon as they say amen, we start eating. He leaves his head bowed, his eyes closed, and he mumbled something. And then he opened his eyes and he started eating. So one day I asked my nana, I was probably nine or ten, I said, Nana, what is Papa saying after we bless the food? What is he mumbling? Why does he leave his head down? And she said, Honey, that's something personal uh, that, that Papa will have to tell you himself if you ask him. I thought, well, I'll never ask him, you know, because I just, we just didn't have that kind of relationship. About a year or two later, I got my nerve up, and um, we were eating at the table, and someone blessed the food, and my papa left us, and I said, Papa, Papa, what are you doing? What are you saying? What, what, why do you leave your eyes closed? I hear you mumble something. What are you mumbling? It was probably the longest conversation he and I ever had. He put his food aside, and he said, jump off. Back in 1979, the year that you were born, I was dying of cancer. He, he had smoked for years. That's before, you know, they knew it was bad or anything like that. He said, I went into a coma. 
The doctors told your nana, that's it. I'm done. It's over. He said the other family members were already planning the funeral. They already decided where the plot was going to be and who was going to give the eulogy and all this kind of stuff. While I'm in a coma dying, the doctor said there's nothing else they can do. He said I was having nightmares about cowboys and Indians because that's what he watched all the time, you know, growing up. He said, but the whole time they were playing at the funeral, your nana just kept praying and praying and praying by my bedside hour after hour. People would come in and say, it's no good what you're doing. He's about to pass away. And she kept praying. The family would say, where do you want the service to be, Molly? Nana just kept praying over and over. He said, after a few days, I came out of the coma. A few days later, the doctors came in, did more tests. They said, we don't understand it. You are completely, totally cancer-free, 100% healed. You're leaving the hospital and everything's fine. He said, so every time we bless the food, I just take a minute to close my eyes and say, God, thank you for healing me of cancer back in 1979. He lived another 30-something years completely healthy, and I believe it's because he always thanked God for what he did 30 years before. Now, I counted it up. If my papa only ate three times a day, which sometimes it was four, sometimes it was five, if it was only three times a day from 1979 until the year that he passed away, he thanked God over 32,000 times for something God did in 1979. Imagine every single day saying, God, thank you for healing my child back in 2008. Thank you, God, for calling me to preach. Thank you, God, for my car. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you, God, for my job. Imagine every day living like that. Psalm 77, 11 says, I recall the many miracles God's done for me. They're always in my thoughts. It's so hard to complain when you're constantly thinking about everything God's done. Now, I, I told you last week a really, really bad thing about me and how I, you know, verbally just let my wife have it in Disney World, hell on earth, and it was a horrible time. So I'm going to say something good about me to kind of make up for that. If there's anything I'm good at, anything, anything God's put in me, it's that I'm a very thankful person. About 20 years ago, I started a thankful folder on one of my first laptops, and I, I still have the folder even to this day. And anytime somebody does something for me, I write it down. If they give me money, I write it down. If they take me out to eat, pay for my, I write it down. If, if, if we go on a vacation and God provides, I write it down. Uh, I have in there how God healed my son, how God gave me the house, how, how God gave me after four boys, he finally gave me a little girl. It's all in there. And every time I enter something new, I always read maybe a few hundred of the entries before. There's over a thousand entries in my thankful folder for everything that God's done in my life. Do you, <coughs> you know how easy it is to forget everything God's done, especially when you're in need of something else and you're so focused on I want, I want, I want. How about God thank you for what you already did? How about thank you for the thousand things you did for me just in the past few years? Um, it's, uh, I heard about this famous singer. Um, he was talking a few years ago about his sister who was mentally challenged and, and physically challenged as well. Um, she couldn't talk. She couldn't walk. She couldn't write. She couldn't read. She couldn't communicate. And so she required, I'm okay, thank you. I'm so sorry. She required 24-hour care. And so um, there was no way she could let them know what she needed except for these whines that she would let out. 
And only the family knew what the whines meant. No matter who they paid to take care of her, no one knew what she meant but the family. She had a whine for when she was tired. She had a whine for when she needed to use the bathroom. And they had to help her. She had a whine for when she was uh, hungry. All these different whines. But the singer, the famous singer, told how the worst whine, the thing they dreaded hearing in life, was the whine that she let out when she had an itch somewhere on her body. Because when she let out the whine, she could not communicate where the itch was. So the whole family would run into the room and they would all scratch different parts of her body trying to help alleviate her itch. We think in life, you know what? Scratching your itch, that's no big deal. It's a very big deal. A very big deal. Think of, you need to start a thankful folder today. If you're healthy, put in there, I'm healthy. If you got a house, put in there. If you got a car, I got a car. If you don't have a car, thank God you can walk. If you can't walk, thank God you had a wheelchair. Thank God for something so that your his blessings will increase in your life. Um, the children of Israel for 430 years, they were in slavery. They were mistreated, abused. But in Exodus 3, 7, God said, I've seen the affliction of my people. I'm going to deliver them and take them to the promised land. So God rose up Moses as a leader. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go. God sends 10 supernatural plagues on the Egyptians, and it does not harm the Israelites. Finally, Pharaoh lets them go. They're so happy. They're so grateful to God. They end up at the Red Sea, and they look behind them, and Pharaoh and the army had changed their mind, and they're coming to attack. In Exodus 14, 11, it says, when the Israelites saw Pharaoh, they complained, saying, did you bring us out of Egypt to die? They forgot about the 10 supernatural miracles God just did. Instead of saying, God, thank you for delivering us 10 times before. Thank you for providing all you did. We know you'll do it again. Nope, they complained. You should bring us here to die. So God parts the Red Sea. They go through on dry land. God kills Pharaoh and all the soldiers in the Red Sea. But in Exodus 15, 24, the people complained, no what are we going to drink out here. So God let water come out of a rock for two million people to drink. They had more than enough. Now there'll be people of thanksgiving, right? Now they'll praise God. Now they'll lift their hands and worship. Nope. Exodus 16 2, the whole congregation complained. God should have killed us in Egypt. At least we had bread there. So God rains down manna from heaven, bread falling on the ground every day. Now everything's going to be good, right? Nope. Numbers 11, 4, the Israelites complained, if only we could have some meat. You know, if God gave them bacon, they complain and want hot dogs. If God gave them hot dogs, they complain and want turkey. If he gave them turkey, that they complain and want, you know, roast beef. If they get to have roast beef, they complain and want steak. It has nothing to do with the circumstances. It has to do with your heart. One thing they didn't ask for was vegetables. Let's just make a note of that. Okay, so Numbers 14, 2. So wait, so God gives them meat, right? Quail, three feet off the ground, fresh meat every day. Then in Numbers 14, 2, they complained against the president. After they've been living in the greatest country ever, certain awesome God, now they're complaining about the leadership. It's all Moses and Aaron's fault. We don't like them, God. Give us somebody else. If we aren't thankful for what God's already done, we won't be thankful after the next miracle. If we're not grateful right now for what God's done, we won't be grateful if he does something new. Some of y'all, if you won the lottery, you'd complain about having to pay taxes. 
<laughs> now listen, it takes a lot to tick God off. It takes a lot to piss God off. It really does. There are only just a few things in the Bible that you can do that actually cause God to turn his favor away from you. Uh, one is living in sin, you know, somebody you're not married to. Another one's being prideful. There's three or more, four more things. So it takes a lot. It takes a, it takes a, a huge arrogance to really cause God to turn away. Watch this. Numbers 14, 27. God said, you sinful people have complained too many times. Now, I don't know how many times is too many, but obviously there is a number. It says, he says, now I'm going to do exactly what I heard you say. Because life and death is in the power of your tongue. You will eat the fruit of your lips. The words out of your mouth are from your heart. That's where your faith is right there. And it's coming out. Faith or fear. All of you who complained, you will die. The very thing you kept saying is going to happen is going to happen to you. Complaining releases a spirit of death. But being thankful always releases a spirit of increase. I can honestly, with all of my heart, I'm not just giving you a good preacher line, okay? With all my heart, I believe that 100% of why I have what I have and God's done what he's done in my life is because I'm always grateful. I'm grateful for his mercy. I'm grateful for his forgiveness. I'm grateful for his love. I'm grateful. Listen, I've, there's not one thing in life I've ever prayed for and not gotten. Not one. Not one thing I've ever wanted or desired that God hasn't put in my life, not one. And it's not because I'm a good person, I do everything right. I, with all of my hardest belief, I'm always thanking God. On our, I don't think one day has gone by in the past 20 years, no matter how bad of a day it's been, that I haven't out loud said, God, thank you for this or thank you for that. Just being grateful, it always releases increase. Now, real quick, this is the longest point. Okay, Before we get to point two, I want to read you a very unusual scripture. Deuteronomy 1-2 says this, it's 11 days from Egypt to the promised land, but it took Israel 40 years. It took them 40 years, and of course they all died, and the second generation finally made it. But here's the point I want to make. Every day that you complain is a day of your destiny that you have wasted. And some of y'all in this room, you've been 11 days away from your healing for the past 20 years. You've been 11 days away from your miracle for the past seven years. You've been 11 days away from the thing that you've been praying and asking God for the most. You've been 11 days away for the past five years because you just can't stop complaining about something. And every day you do it is a day you've wasted. Point number two. Point number one is say it. Point number two is this. Sing it. It's always verbal. Always. And I know some of y'all come in this church and, and you're very, you know, kind of spectating and looking around and you just, you just, it's so funny. We literally put the words on the screen to the songs, okay? You don't got to know the tune. Just try your best. It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. Just sing and sing and sing, not because you've had a great week, but because God's had a great week and that's who we're singing to. Uh, tehillah is the Hebrew word for giving thanks this way, to give thanks with a song, tehillah, not to be confused with tequila, which also makes you sing, it just makes you sing different songs, okay? So Jeremiah thirty nineteen says, out of them will come songs of praise, and then, everybody say then, then, then by my blessing they will increase and they will flourish. You know the law of sowing and reaping, you do this, God does this, you do this, God does this. All through the Bible, when people sing to God, every single time, increase happened. Every single time. There's not one time in the entire Bible that someone sang to God and he did not increase their life in some way. 
Why do you think we have praise and worship on Sunday mornings? And you know, when we were kids, we'd sing all the time. I, I, I'm up here playing, and on the, on the Sundays that I play, I always look at the children because they're always singing. Some of them, they don't know the words. Some of them are just looking around singing. They're clapping. One little girl was just moving to the beat today like she was doing the robot from the 80s or something like that. I know she's having convulsions or what, but anyway, she was really enjoying herself. And some of y'all just stand there like this after. And you know what? God's done more for you than he has for the kids because you've lived longer. And you and, and, and just sing. Um, it says in Psalm 8:3, with praises sung by children, God gives strength and he stops the enemy in our life. Our, our neighbors, they're such good friends with us. They live in front of our house. Um, and, and they've been coming to church and their kids, um, they didn't really have a relationship with Jesus until they moved to Myrtle Beach, immediately started coming to Solid Rock. We love them dearly. And their daughter, I saw on Facebook a video of their daughter singing one of the songs we sing in church. Take a look at this real quick. for 30 seconds to just give him praise. If you got nothing else to praise him for, praise him that you got a cheese quesadilla in your hand from Taco Bell. <laughs> I heard a true story about this little bird that lived in a little bird cage and, and the bird would sit on its swing and all day long he would swing and sing and swing and sing. He would do this night and day, just sing and swing and sing and swing. And his owner, she would always clean the cage out, you know, once a week or so. And, and one day she opened up the door to the cage and she had the long vacuum cleaner hose. And she was cleaning the bottom. Y'all know where the story's going, don't you? She was cleaning the bottom of the, of the bird cage and her cell phone rang and she reached over with her left hand to get the cell phone and the right hand with the vacuum cleaner hose went up and the little bird just got sucked through the vacuum cleaner hose. And she, she said, I'll call you back, you know, I'm cleaning. And when she looked, the bird wasn't there and she didn't know what happened. So she's looking all around the house and maybe he flew out somewhere. Then finally it dawned on her, maybe I sucked my bird down the vacuum cleaner. So she opened up the vacuum cleaner, opened up the bag, and sure enough, there was her little bird. He was all you know, bedraggled and all dusty and nasty. So she pulled him out. He was still alive. Everything was fine physically. Uh, she wiped all the dust and all the dirt off of him, and she put him back on his little swing. And she said the funniest thing happened. He didn't sing anymore. The bird lost his song in life. You know, and a lot of times with us, the same thing happens. We start off as kids and we love Jesus and life is great. And then something happens. We, 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 we don't go to the college we wanted to go to or we get abused as a young person or, or we go through a divorce as an older person or we miss out on a big business deal. And, we, and we're not really mad at God. We just don't understand why. And in life, we lose our song. We get sucked down the vacuum cleaner hose of life, so to speak, and we don't come out the same way. Here's the good news I have for you. Psalms 40 verse 3 says, God pulled me out of that horrible vacuum cleaner and he put a new song of praise in my mouth. God has a new song for you no matter what's happened in the past, but you have to do your part and sing it. 
He's got a new song waiting on you. Increased flourishment in your life, but you got to be willing to sing. Isaiah 54, 1 says, Sing, O barren woman who has not had a child. Break forth into singing, shouting, be happy. Make melody and sounds of joy. Here's why. Because the Lord has made you a promise that you will have what you're believing for. Listen, this scripture was written to women who were barren. They were unarmed. They were not holding the very thing that they had believed God for. And God said, sing. You think, you know what? After I have my baby, then I'll start singing. That's not how it works. You got to sing while you're unarmed. Singing delivers the dream. Complaining aborts the seed. If you will sing to the promise now, then just like God has promised, he'll deliver what it is you've been praying for. I remember, um, you know, I told you about Asher and how God healed him when he was three months old of, of, the, of the thing in the spinal cord. And the doctors told us he was going to die and miraculous healing and he's strong and healthy. Well, we got him home from MUSC and uh, man, the little boy just would not sleep. And so every night he's crying and he's wanting to be held. He wants a bottle. He wants to be with his daddy. You know? So every night I'd get up and I'd hold him. And, and I, was, I was like a zombie. I already spent three months in the hospital. No sleep. You know, hardly any food. Now I got him home. Still no sleep. And one night I was complaining. I was like, God, just help him go to sleep. I mean, my goodness, I can't take it anymore. And God spoke to me, not, in, not out loud, but like in my head. These thoughts came. John Paul, three months before, your child was on death row. Every time he cries in the middle of the night, that's a sign that he's alive, that he's healthy, that he's going to be okay. And so everything changed. Now I could not wait to wake up in the middle of the night and hear him cry. I looked forward to him calling out. I looked forward to giving him, give him his bottle and changing his diaper and spending time with him. It took all the stress away when I realized, God, he healed my child. Um, <clears throat> uh, the problem is in life is we talk about the things that we should forget and we forget about the things that we should be talking about on a regular basis. Um, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat was in charge of Israel and the people of Judah and these three evil armies surrounded Israel or Judah to attack and destroy them. And I just want you to think what it's like to be in charge of God's people when they're about to be slaughtered and destroyed and everything's going to be taken away. I mean, you had David, the greatest king ever, then Solomon, the wisest king, and on and on, you know, Hezekiah, all these great kings. And now Jehoshaphat is in charge. And I'm sure if I were him and I was that leader, I'd be thinking, great. Now the history books are going to tell everything was fine with Israel until I became in charge. And while I was in charge, we lost it all. God's people are going to die. The women and children are going to be captured, slaughtered. They're going to steal everything we worked for, for all these generations before. So Hezekiah, so, so Jehoshaphat got all the people together and they started praying and asking God what they should do. And in 2 Chronicles 20, 15, the word of the Lord came and said this, the battle's not yours, it's God's. Now, wouldn't it be so cool to be in the middle of the most horrible predicament you've ever faced in your life? And all of a sudden, a prophetic word comes in and says, hey, don't worry. It's not even your battle. God's going to fight your battle for you. Man, that would make me feel really good in life. So what do I do then? If you got the battle and you're going to take care of my enemies, what do I do in the meantime? In verse 21, here's what the word of the Lord said. Order the singers to march in front of the army and sing praise to the Lord. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. So here's the battle strategy we got going on, okay? We're facing three 
evil armies that came together. I mean, they are going to behead us. They're going to destroy us. They have the, they're the strongest men around. And you want, <clears throat> in front of our soldiers who are well equipped with swords and bow and arrows and shields, you want me to put Victoria and Micah and Pam with her tambourine in front of all of our soldiers. What are they, what's Victoria going to do? Like poke their eyes out when they're coming at her with a sword? And, and, and Pam, is she going to, you know, throw a tambourine at them? You know, get, and Micah's going to talk them to death or something? Like, what are they going to do? So they put the singers in front. The singers in verse 22. As soon as they began to sing praise to God, the enemy got confused and turned on each other. And Judah didn't even have to lift up their hands. God did the entire work for him. Here's where it all happened when they sang praise. Here's my question. Are you willing to sing in the middle of the battle? It's easy to sing once everything good has happened. It's easy to sing when all the bills are paid. It's easy to sing when you're healthy and your back's not hurting and everyone's being so good to you in life. It's easy to sing that. Here's my question. Are you willing to sing? One test that everyone in this room is going to have to pass at some point in our destiny is singing praise to God when we don't feel like it. It's singing praise to God when we don't see how it's going to happen. It's singing praise to God when we feel like staying home, eating ice cream, and watching Something on television. That's a test we're all going to have to pass. You say it, you sing it, and here's my third point. It's the shortest point. You shout it. Everybody say shout it. Shout, shout it. The Hebrew word is shabak, and it means to give thanks with a loud shout. I'm telling you this is biblical. I realize that some of you are Catholic. I realize some of you are old. I realize some of you are old Catholics. And so there's not a lot of shouting going on unless you're watching a Steelers game. Let's be honest. Or unless you're behind a slow driver, let's be very honest, okay? But it is biblical to shout praise to God. Psalms 47 1 says this shout unto God with the voice of triumph. If you need to learn how to shout, you can just talk to Pastor Matt. I think he's gonna be the next service. <clears throat> I found a poem that reminded me of Pastor Matt, and it says this Some people think I'm weird, and yes, that may be true. But if they knew why I was shouting unto God, then they'd join me and be shouting too. <laughs> okay, so last scripture. If you have your Bibles in Jonah, I, I want to read to you what, if y'all want to know what some of the things I do during my week, is I respond to y'all's emails and texts and y'all's voicemails and phone calls. This is what some of y'all's phone calls and emails look like to me, okay? And I'm not putting anyone's personal one on the screen. This is, this is one that Jonah wrote, but it's very similar to what y'all usually send me, okay? Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. In deep trouble, from the belly of hell, in a watery grave with ocean waves crashing over me, I cried, help, Pastor John Paul. I've been thrown away. The water choked me and I almost drowned. My head was tangled in seaweed in the bottom of the sea. I was as far down as I could go and I knew I'd be a prisoner forever. <laughs> what am I gonna do, John Paul? Will you give me money? Will you tell me how to get out of this? Will you come and save me? That's what y'all's emails look like. Not all y'all, but you know who you are. You know who you are. <clears throat> Probably people from the second service, not this service, but you know who you are. So I just want you to know, eight scriptures and nothing changed. 
Eight scriptures and God did not show up. Eight scriptures and there's been no miracle. There's been no, no, no increase. There's been no flourishment. Eight scriptures and nothing's happened. Here's why. They're full of complaints. It says in verse 9, this is while he's in the middle, while he's in the whale, he's in the middle of the most horrible circumstance of his life. And in verse 9, Jonah says, but I will offer shouts of praise as sacrifice to my Lord. That word sacrifice means I don't feel like doing it. That word sacrifice means it's going to be difficult for me. Something I've never done before. In the belly of the whale, thank you, God. You're so magnificent. You are so awesome. You've done so much for me. I'm so grateful for who you are and what you've done for my family. In verse 10, then the Lord commanded the fish to spit Jonah on dry land, and it's all over. The shout and everything changed after that. If you complain, you will remain. If you praise, you will be raised. Okay? Let me tell you one story and I'll let you go. Um, maybe, let's see, 13 or 14 years ago, something like that, 15, 16, I was, started pastoring a store, at a storefront church, a storefront building, and uh, we were leasing, we were renting the building, and I, I hate wasting money. I hate wasting money. So I thought, well, let's buy a piece of property and let's, let's build a little building. And um, I had no intentions or desires of having a big church. I was very happy with 30, 40, 50 people. And so we found a little acre or two property out in the boonies, like way out in the dirt. You had to go down one dirt road, another dirt road, another dirt road, and, and there it was. And so the church, we bought that property. We spent three years paying it off with the intentions of once it's paid off, we're going to build a little teeny church on it. And that'll be ours. We won't have to rent or lease or anything like that. And so um, when we bought the property, it was zoned residential. And, and so we went and got it rezoned uh, religious. And, you know, I just have to go to Conway to the courthouse or somewhere, and there's like a meeting room, and they call your name that's on the docket, and what do you want to do? And I'm the pastor, and we want to rezone it religious. Okay, check. We're good. And that was it. There's like three people in the room. And so we've spent three years and paid it off, and now it's time to start getting drawings and, and, and build a little, you know, metal building on there so we can own, own the property. And so we went to go start the process, and they said, oh, you got to rezone it for religious purpose. I said, well, we already did. They said, no, no, you have to do it every year until you actually build on the property. I said, I, I didn't know that. So um, I set a meeting in Conway like, like last time, three years before. And I, I go there. And this time, instead of having like three people in the room, there's like 100 people in the room. I thought, man, it's a popular night for rezoning, you know, in Socrates. And so, um, so they finally got to my name. <clears throat> and they called me up stand in front of this you know, board on this table. And what do you want to do? We want to rezone it religious. And they said, okay, great. Is anyone here opposed? And I said, well, no. And they said, well, is anyone in the room opposed? And I thought, well, who would be here to oppose? And I look around and about 75 people stand to their feet. It was everyone from that entire community. Um, they all had signs and letters to read on why they did not want that property touched. They wanted to stay, you know, they like to hunt or shoot or whatever they're doing. Uh, they don't want anyone driving through there. They didn't, don't want that dirt road turning into a paved road. They didn't want nothing like that. And for the next maybe 30, 45 minutes, I literally sat there in tears. And I was a very young guy, and I, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. These people are coming up saying, we don't want a church. Like that, just those, just that, those words itself just brings tears to your eyes. We don't want a church. We don't want, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like, am I, you know, am I, am I dreaming? Like, what's going on? And so at the end of all these people talking, the board looked at me and said, I'm sorry, we're denying you the rezoning. It's going to stay residential. And I left the court that night 
feeling like the biggest loser you could imagine. I spent three years telling a group of people, uh, we're going to buy this property and we're going to build this church and this house going to work out. They gave money towards it. And at my mistake, at my fault, not knowing that I had to rezone it like that every year because of me, now we lost everything. And I just felt like I can't even face the people. I'm not even going to go to church. I'm quitting. I'm running away. I'm going to Hawaii to start a church. I don't know what to do. And so on the way home that night, for some reason or another, these scriptures that I'm teaching you today started coming up in my mind. So in my truck, for the first time in my life, all by myself, I started screaming and shouting praise to God. I mean, you would have thought I'd lost my mind. I love you, God. You're so awesome. And you've done that. And thank you for this. And thank you for that. You're amazing. You know, everything I could. I'll never forget pulling up to a red light at the swing bridge in this big old redneck truck with the windows rolled down. There was like a couple in there. And I'm just screaming, God's awesome. God's amazing. And then I opened up my eyes. And they were, I don't know how long they were looking at me. I looked at him right in their eyes and I said, I love you, Jesus. Everything's going to be great. You know, nothing changed that night. I did not feel any different. I was still depressed. I still felt horrible, but I shouted praise to God. The next night, the person that owns this property, we haven't spoken in six years. Not in six years have we said one word to each other. He called me up out of the blue and said, I need to leave town quickly. I'll sell you that property at Market Common. I have another person that wants to buy it, so I'll sell you for the price that they're offering. He said, but I need um, I need 10% down, which was $50,000. I need $50,000 by Monday, or I'm selling it to the other person, and I'll finance the rest of it, the other $450,000, but I need $50,000 by Monday. I thought, well, we, that's great. Thank you, God, but we don't have any money. We spent all the money on, on paying off the property. That Sunday morning, $55,000 was given. The next Monday, we bought this property. Within two or three years, we paid it off. Now, I'll take it even further. I'll tell you this, which I shouldn't tell you this, but I always tell you all everything. Um, the lady that was in charge of the big mutiny and the 75 people with all their sons, her house was the closest one to the property that the church had bought. And so I went to visit her, and this wasn't the best of me, <clears throat> but it worked out okay. <clears throat> I took a manila folder with a bunch of fake papers on the inside, and I said, um, I said, you know, I don't want to have any hard feelings. I know y'all don't want a church. Y'all don't want any traffic or anything like that. I just want you to know we have drawings, and we're putting 50 trailers on the property, and we're going to start renting them out in the next few weeks so the church can have income. That day, that lady wrote me a check for more money than we paid for that property, and we used that money to renovate this building whenever we moved in, and it all worked out. <laughs> And now this building that we ended up, we only paid like maybe 300 something thousand because in the long run, the person that financed it just wanted a lot of money quick. Um, now it appraised for $1.8 million just a few weeks ago. Um, Psalm 6410, people with a good heart make praising God a habit. So I encourage you, if you're thankful, you'll say it, you'll sing it, and you'll shout it. Amen.